0: within the walls of this church i think my mom gave birth to me and then I was here like pretty much a week later. I have all these ladies always come up to me on Sunday mornings and they say, I held you when you were just a baby. And I'm like, oh, that's so sweet. Don't touch me, you know? I just, I don't wanna to be touched, but that's really sweet and I really like that. And so I grew up as a baby and then I went into kids' church, which was so much fun and I had such good memories from that. And then I just went straight into 4640 Middle School, just never really missed a beat. Never really missed a Sunday or a Wednesday night. Like, I was all about church. So within these walls, I kind of grew up and became the person that I am now. Within these walls, I also hold a lot of really, really precious, sometimes amazing, sometimes really, really hard memories. Some of the hardest conversations I've ever had A bit in this building. Um, My grandpa's ashes were spread right outside. This is where we had his memorial service, and this still sometimes reminds me of that. I've also had some amazing memories here as well, and it just feels like my story is wrapped up within the walls of this church. But most importantly, it's not about the walls. It's about the God that fills it. And from the outside, my story doesn't feel that significant. I'm a pastor's kid that became a pastor that happens like literally all of the time. Okay, we're a dime a dozen. Um, And so my story, it's not that significant. It's not that cool from the outside. It kind of started here and I'm kind of in the middle of it and I'm a work in progress. But what's really cool is kind of to look back to be able to see at a certain point where I was and where I am now, because I said I was here every single Sunday, I said I was here every single Wednesday, but when it came to Tuesday nights, when it came to being here during high school, there were a lot of weeks that I missed. And it wasn't necessarily because I was in a sport and I was super committed, it was more about, I just couldn't bear some weeks to set foot in this building because of what it represented. It it represented a legacy of my family here. It represented an innocence of me growing up. And all of a sudden, I just felt this weight, this guilt, and this shame that just told me, you don't belong there anymore. You're not welcome there anymore. And I had friends that were kind of pulling me in a wrong direction, but I completely let them. I completely was willing to go down a different road And I remember thinking, man, it's Tuesday night. I should be at church, but I literally cannot get myself to set foot within this place. Because every time I would try, it felt like the amount of guilt and shame that was on my shoulders made it impossible to walk through the door. So that was probably my sophomore, junior year. And what's so cool to see is what the Lord did in me since then what he's done in me the last few years, because all of a sudden, because of him, I was able to turn it around. I was able to find breakthrough of the guilt and the shame. I was able to silence the lies of the enemy, and it wasn't easy. It was really, really hard. But all of a sudden, this building and the God that filled it was so much more to me. And within just a few years, right up those steps, through those doors, I married a man that I never thought that I would be worthy of. And then just a few years later, a couple months ago, right up those stairs, I was officially licensed as a pastor. And if you had looked at me and said, Madeline, as a sophomore, to me as a sophomore, you're gonna one day be right here speaking as a pastor, I would have laughed in your face. I wouldn't have believed you. I would have said, that is impossible. I'm not the one that's called. My sister's the one that's called. I'm not gonna be that person. I'm gonna be something else. I was prideful, I was arrogant, and I was broken. But now, because of what the Lord has done to me and through me, I can set foot back in this place. I can know I am welcomed, I am worthy, and I'm not defined by what I had done and by my mistakes. Within this very room right here, right about, there was a conference that I was serving at. And I was just really figuring out what I should do and where I should go. And I remember crying out to the Lord. And I remember him speaking to me right in this very place. He said, Madeline, you're going to go into full-time ministry. And I said, why? <laughs> because my parents did it. And so I should do it. And he said, no, because what could be more important? Right here in this spot. And that at one time just seems so unfathomable. My story is about the glory of God and his ability to take something that was broken and make it whole again. It's about his faithfulness and about how I threw it all away with both hands and he just laughed and said through it all, he still wanted me. I was recently asked how I knew for sure that Jesus and God were real. And my first initial response that popped into my brain was to say something really smart, like some type of Bible verse, something that was very, very official. But I wish that instead I had answered that question with something similar to what I had just spoken to you. That I know God is real because there is no other reasonable explanation for the healing and the redemption that took place within my own life that I witnessed in my own path. There's no other answer for that besides the work of a miracle of Jesus. That I know Jesus is real because I have seen him move in my own life and in so many of your own lives right here in this very room. And I know he's real because I don't deserve any of this. And yet here I am. I think that sometimes we can get this a little bit mixed up sometimes. I think that we think for in order for us to be able to talk about who Jesus is to others, that we have to have it all figured out. That we ourselves have to be perfect in order to be able to talk about and represent a perfect God when in fact the opposite is true. The best way that we can talk about God is to show how he moved through us even despite our imperfections. And what we need to understand is this thing that we have, this relationship that we have with God, it's not a religion. It's not just a practice speech that we shove down the throats of others that are willing to listen. It's a relationship. And with every relationship, there's a love story. And who doesn't love a good love story? In 1 Peter 3.15, it goes into how we can go about speaking about who God is. And I know this can be hard. I know there's a lot of negative connotations when it comes to sharing your faith, and this is a society that is, for some reason, so open to so many ideas, so many different outlooks except for Jesus. And so, in these verses, we can see some advice of how to go about sharing our faith, because we can't just say, well, they might not want to listen, they might not want to hear it, and so I'm not going to try, but instead, 1 Peter 3.15 says, but in your heart's Revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. So in other words, every single one of us is called to share the hope that we have. Are we supposed to do it in an argumentative way as if we are in trial? No, it says we should do it with gentleness and respect. And I'm sorry if that's not the way that Jesus has been portrayed to you by others. That's wrong. That was not the way that they were supposed to present him, but we can be better in this, and we should know that we are called to be better in this. Every single one of us, no matter where we are in our walks of faith, no matter what our experiences, our circumstances, no matter how eloquent we are or how good we are at speaking, we are called to do this. Ephesians 4, 11 through 12 describes different titles that Christians might have. And you might be surprised to know that you hold at least one of these titles. It says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. You may be looking at that list and saying, whew, I'm good. I'm not any one of those things, so this is not a role that I have to take on. When in fact, Each and every one of us, we might not be apostles, we might not be prophets, we might not be pastors or teachers, but every single one of us in this room have been called by the Lord to be evangelists. Every single one of us carries that weight and that responsibility to build the kingdom of Christ as evangelists. What exactly is an evangelist? Just simply someone who shares the faith I love that 2 Timothy 4-5 says, but you, not your sister, not the person sitting next to you, not Pastor Dale, you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist. It's our calling and it may be hard, it might not be easy, but we need to do so. So evangelist shares the gospel. What's the gospel? The gospel literally means good news. What is the good news, you may be asking? It's simply the story of Jesus. It's not more complicated than that. He died on the cross, he rose again, and when he did this, he made it to where each and every one of us were saved from the wrong things that we had done, he made us whole again. But what is the best way to go about sharing the good news? It's to tell your story. It's to share how the good news has impacted you, how Jesus has worked through your life. If someone asks you, how do you know Jesus is real? How do you know God is real? Don't spat off scripture, but share instead what your story is. And I think right now the enemy is going to come into each and every one of our minds and try to convince us that we don't have a story that we don't have a voice, that even if we did have a story, we probably wouldn't be very good at sharing it, and it wouldn't make an impact, and so we might as well not try. But what we need to understand are these are all lies of the enemy trying to stop the kingdom of God going forward. Satan wants as many occupants in his kingdom of hell as possible, so of course he's going to try and shut us down before we have a chance to share our story. But what you need to understand is that the only thing that you need to do in order to tell your story is just to be vulnerable and just to be honest, because the truth is, if you can do that, no one can argue with it. They might be able to argue with, well, what about dinosaurs? And what about creation? And what about the Big Bang Theory? And they might have evidence and evidence and evidence. But if you share your story, they can't say a word about it. They can't argue with your own experiences. First John 1:3 says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and what we have heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. You may be saying, okay, well, what is my story? It's just what you've seen. just what you've heard. It's as simple as that. There's a word that's used often when it comes to sharing your faith, and it's the word witness. To witness for Jesus. And I think this word can be kind of intimidating, but it means exactly what it said. I want you to think of like a witness in court. It's the same thing. We're providing a story and evidence for Jesus. So, If you're a witness, you're simply providing something that you have personally seen, you're providing a testimony. So how have you personally witnessed Jesus move in your own life? That's what you talk about. You don't have to be a pastor or apostle in order to do this. If you were a witness to a car wreck and you were asked to come and be a witness in a court case regarding the car wreck, no one's gonna say, okay, you have to attend six weeks of automobile school in order for you to be a witness in this case. All you do is you simply testify to what you've seen and what you've heard, you tell your story, and that's all you had to do. This goes for us as well. We're just simply witnesses. We don't have to be called to be pastors. We don't have to go to years and years of Bible school. You just have to be able to say, this is what I've seen. This is what I've heard. This is what the people in the Bible did too. All of those apostles, all those disciples, they're just normal dudes until Jesus. We were all normal until Jesus as well. In Acts 22:15, 15, it describes this. For you are to be his witness, telling everyone what you have seen and what you have heard. There's a few more verses that use the same exact wording over and over and over again. Luke 20, 20, or 20 says, The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and all they had seen. Luke 7.22, then he told John's disciples, this is Jesus speaking, go back to John and tell him what you have seen and what you have heard. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is being preached. Acts 4.20, we cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and we have heard. So where do you start? What have you seen? What have you you heard. I think that there's the awkward social part as well. You can come up with a story. You can practice your speech. You can do it with gentleness and all of those different things. But how does that come up in a social setting? Well, humans are funny. Um, If you ask them their story by obligation of being polite, they then have to ask you your story. That's just kind of how social blessings go. And so if you're in a conversation with a friend or a family member, you can just start and say, hey, Tell me your story. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you move to? What was elementary school like? What was middle school like? What was high school like? Tell me about it. And then after they're done and you're being polite and you're a good listener, then they're gonna ask you what your story is. And then it's an open door and you can sit, tell exactly what you've seen, what, exactly what you've heard. Stakes are high, but the pressure is off. You don't have to be able to lead them to jesus right then and right there with your story but you're opening the door you're starting the conversation you don't have to get them to church right then right there get them to agree to coming but again you're starting the conversation you're opening the door you're showing hey you don't have to be a super rude judgmental person to be a christian in fact those people aren't christians they aren't doing what jesus preached in the bible Instead, I just want to tell you about what Jesus did in my own life. And then maybe you might want to come and see for yourself. Again, the stakes are high, but the pressure is off. And you don't have to rate yourself on a pass or fail on whether or not the person right then and there gets saved. No more questions about it. That's not realistic. And sometimes it does take several asks before they agree to come to you with church to you. And that's just how it is. But none of that is failing because, again, you're getting them closer. I want us to think about it like this scale right here. One all the way up to 10. Each step gets them closer to salvation. So if your friend or you maybe are right down here at step number one, it means you're not really considering salvation. Jesus isn't on your mind. You're really not even considering going to church. You're kind of against it. You always have been. You're pretty far away. But then if you get closer and closer and closer, that means you're closer and closer to considering salvation, to coming to church. And once you get all the way up to 10, that means that you are ready to ask Jesus to be your personal savior. So if you're starting down here with your friendship and you're talking to them and you're sharing their story and you're asking them to come to church, you might not be able to get them straight from one all the way up to 10, that's okay. Because you might be able to get them from step one to step three. And then maybe you can try again in a couple of months, and that might push them maybe from three to four, and then you might say, okay, I've done all I can do. And then another person can come along, maybe at a different stage of life, and they can phrase their story a little bit differently, and they can get them from four all the way up to nine. And then from there, they can make it eventually to the top. That's what we're called to do, not necessarily to drag them to church but to get the door open with gentleness and kindness. And it may, in our own lives, look a little something like this. Hey, friend.
1: Oh, hey, what's up? How are you doing, fam?
0: Um, so do you wanna to go to church with me?
1: I'm, that's a hard pass for me, dog. Okay, uh, all right. No, thanks.
0: What if I give you a million dollars?
1: Deal, a million dollars. Give it right now. I'll take it. Oh, come on.
0: So I, I don't. You said a million dollars. I don't don't actually have a million dollars, but I have five. Twenty. Fifteen. Ten. Deal.
1: Deal. Okay, I'll go to church. Sweet (laughs) sucker. (laughs) Ten bucks.
0: Yo, dude, you wanna come to church with me?
1: Uh, no. Actually, for sure no, nah, dude. Thank you, though.
0: Okay, yeah, like, you you probably wouldn't even like it anyway. It's pretty, like, uh, exclusive. You wouldn't like it.
1: Wait, but hold on. What, what do you mean? I like cool stuff. I'm exclusive.
0: Yeah, it's, like, pretty fun, though. I don't I don't think you're really gonna like it. You kinda don't look like the guy that likes it. No, that.
1: but I'm, like, I'm super chill. I'm into cool things. I have, like, 35 followers on, um, what, Facebook. Um, and so, like, I'm I'm pretty legit. I would really love it if you let, like, what can I do to get to come?
0: Uh, take a step.
1: Take a step for yeah, I'll yeah. take like three. I'll, I'll be will be good at stepping.
0: Okay, cool. When we go, don't embarrass me though, cause like for real, look at you. For,
1: for real, for real, I can't promise that. <laughs> go to church. No, go. No, go. No, go. Make me. I will. No. No. Go. No. I have a final. You don't. You don't study. I know that for a fact. No. I... <laughs> I HAVE A DATE! You don't- that- <laughs> Okay, you're right, I don't have a date- Okay, but no, I don't- Why oh, so strong? Get I don't want it! Yeah, I don't- okay. Go! Fine! Go! Fine! Jeez, dude. You messed up my perfectly coiffed hair.
0: Hey, oh my gosh, I love your shirt.
1: Hey, thanks, it's a Cardinals jersey. It's-
0: it's amazing, I love NL Central, bro. Yeah. I don't know what that means. Um, hey, you wanna come to church with me?
1: Yeah, for sure, that sounds oh, okay, chill.
0: Okay, so you just gotta take a step and, and we'll go. Deal, I'm on it. Yeah, sounds good. What?
1: Why would you what? just go when she did that and she do that I just had to drag you up the four steps? Well, she asked nicely. <laughs> Stupid.
0: So you can get them to the top, but once they're there, it's then their choice to take the leap of faith and to say, yes, I'm ready, I'm willing to follow Jesus for the rest of my life. That might look something like this. Go ahead and take the leap of faith. Go, go ahead, jump, jump. No. Oh. Hard no. Just go ahead. You got it. No. Jump, I- jump, 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 jump.
1: Okay, jump. I will. Just hold on, oh. please.
0: Oh, okay. There's a beanbag coming. I You're would good. like You're
1: good. to be able to use my knees when I'm 35.
0: Okay. Okay. Now will you? No, jump? a
1: little. It needs to come in a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Word. Do you that- accept
0: the Lord Jesus as your Savior? Yeah. I did. Okay. Woo!
1: That was the scariest yes. thing I've ever done. So, but it was totally worth it.
0: When we practiced that earlier, that only took about 10 minutes for him to finally get the guts to jump off. <laughs> but he did it, and we're proud of him. Okay, so this is my, what do I look like? Okay, that was a little bit silly. Maybe you're not using reverse psychology and bribes and physical kidnapping. Maybe you just ask nicely. Maybe you share your story as we talked about tonight. But again, the pressure is off because you have more opportunities to get them there. You have other people in your life that can come around you and help also to get your friends to church. It's not all on you. The stakes are high. The pressure is off. So now that we know our stories is just sharing what we've seen, what we've heard, it's being willing to put yourself out there and try and get them from step one to step five or whatever it is, the last step that we need to take in sharing what our faith is, is we need to stick to our story. You don't need to know all of the scripture. You don't need to know all the information about creation and religion. Please don't argue about religion. That's not a fight you're ever gonna win. Even if you have all of the evidence, you have everything that you could possibly say, if you are in a heated argument with someone, they're not gonna listen no matter what you say, no matter how convincing, and if anything, you might end up pushing them back on the scale rather than forward. We need to speak in truth, but also in love, and we need to stick to our story. There's a story in the Bible that is absolutely one of my favorite stories of all time because I think it's absolutely hilarious, and this dude knows how to stick to a story. It takes place in John chapter 9. It says, as Jesus, which we're talking about, Jesus here. So as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. He spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Okay, stop there. Savage Jesus, right? He literally hawks up a loogie, gross, spits it on the ground, makes some mud with it, scoops it up. Puts it on the poor guy's face, okay? Nasty. Then he goes further and he says, Go, he told the blind man, wash in the pool of Siloam. So not only is Jesus putting gross mud, saliva, spit, on the man's face the man was already blind Jesus putting more mud probably isn't gonna help the situation he is now saying now you must walk across town to a pool and wash your face off the man's like dude I wouldn't have had to wash my face if you didn't just spit on it but sure let me mosey across the town as I cannot see and I will go and wash and this is exactly what he does and then it says so the man went washed and he came home seeing. This man's story is so simple. He couldn't see, he met Jesus, and now he can see. But it gets a little bit more complicated when people start to see this man around town. They start to see that he's changed, he's walking a little different, he can actually see. And so they start to ask him questions It says, his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same dude who used to sit and beg? some claimed that he was others said no he only looks like him but he himself insisted said yeah I am the man that was me they said well then how then were your eyes opened and he replied the man they called Jesus made some mud he put it on my eyes he told me to go to Siloam and wash he left out the spit part so I went and washed and then I could see where is this man they asked him I don't know, he said. He stuck to his story. I met Jesus. He told me to do this. Now I can see. I don't know where he is, but that's what happened to me. Then people began to ask more questions. These neighbors of his brought him to the Pharisees, which at this time were like these religious groups. They were like the worst. They loved their rules more than God. And so when the man brought the blind man to the Pharisees, they started asking questions. They asked him how he'd received his sight. At this point, he's getting a little annoyed with having to tell his story over and over again. So he says, he put mud on in my eyes, and I washed, and now I see. But they still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they then sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked. Is this the one you say that was born blind? How is it now that he can see? They said, we don't, yes, we, he is our son, the parents answered. And we know that he was born blind, but how he can now see or who opened his eyes, we don't know ask him, he will speak for himself. They didn't want to ask him. The Pharisees didn't want to ask the blind man because they knew that they would not like his answer. Why? Because they couldn't argue with it. I met Jesus, now I'm different. That's it. That's my experience, that's my story, that's what I heard, that's what I saw, and there's nothing that you can say against it. Later, goes on in verse 24. It says, a second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. This poor dude has only been able to see for like an hour. He's seeing trees for the first time, flowers for the first time, women for the first time, okay, literally can see an hour. And this poor dude has been brought back three times, three times to tell the same same story. And this is what he says. Whether he's a sinner or not, doesn't matter. I don't know. Talking about Jesus, I don't know if he's a sinner. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. I was blind, but now I see. I was broken, but now I'm healed. I was covered in guilt and shame, and now I'm redeemed. Maybe you grew up in a home without a dad. Dad left, he's gone, he's not around, but then you met Jesus. My dad left, but now I know who my real father is. Maybe you were bullied as you were growing up in elementary or middle school or high school, but then you found Jesus and he taught you that you always have a place where you can belong. Maybe your parents got divorced When you were really young and you were worried that you would never really know what true love looked like. And then you met Jesus and he showed you exactly what it looks like. I was blind, but now I see. I met Jesus. Now I'm different. I was broken. Now I'm healed. Those are our stories. And guys, we need to share them. We are called to be evangelists. We are called to get people from the first step closer and closer and closer to receiving salvation because if we can't do it, who else will? There's a quote that's always stuck me with me. It says, how much do you have to hate somebody to not share your faith? Man, that's hard to wrestle with. And the truth is guys, people deserve to know about Jesus. They deserve to know about his grace. They deserve to know about what an eternity looks like without him. They deserve to know the truth. And if we're not gonna do it as their friends, as their family members, as their closest people in their lives, guys, who is gonna do it? Because the cost is too much to pay if they do not have salvation. If they are on any of the steps between one and nine, they are not going to heaven. They're going to hell. It doesn't matter how good of a person they are. It doesn't matter how much integrity they have. It doesn't matter how many times they try and do the right thing. If they do not know Jesus, if they have not prayed the salvation prayer, they do not get to go to heaven. They spend an eternity in suffering. And I know the world wants to tell us that it's different. I know they want to sugarcoat it and say, no, 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 no. If you're a good person, you're going to get to have a good afterlife. We don't know exactly what it is, but as long as you're good here on earth, you're going to be okay. That's not true. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And guys, you are the ones that are called to get them there. To get them to church, to share your story, to say, No, Jesus, He's so much more than just this outdated scripture that's being preached and bastardized over and over and over again. He is my Savior. He is the person that brought me back together, that made me whole again. And I can't help but speak about it because I can't see you suffer any longer knowing full well that Jesus could be the thing that heals you from your anxiety. Jesus could be the thing that heals you from your depression. Jesus is the only only way that you will end up in heaven I can't help but talk to you about him and again you don't have to get them all the way up to 10 but if you can get them close they're another step closer than they were the week before and we here at 4640 we always say we want to make it hard for the youth of the Grand Valley to go to hell What we mean by that is we don't want church to feel stuffy. We don't want it to feel boring. We want this to be a place where you want to and you feel comfortable with inviting your friends because it is a fun atmosphere. We have an awesome band. We have pretty good sermons that try and make things understandable and fun and we use humor and comedy and sometimes we light people on fire and eat gross things. Why do we do that? Not because we enjoy eating crickets, I can promise you, but because we want to make it hard for you youth of the Grand Valley to go to hell. And we want to make this a place where you can invite your friends. And so next week we're doing an event. It's called Make a Match. We do it every single year. And it's a really fun event and it's the perfect opportunity for you to invite your friends because it's going to be a fun party atmosphere. We're going to be giving away tons and tons of prizes with this really cool Make a Match challenge. But most importantly, we're going to be teaching salvation. And it's our goal that every single student that walks out of here on that night leaves with an eternity guaranteed in heaven, because that's what they deserve and that's what they need. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want us to take a second to just consider who it is in our lives that needs to be here next week, that needs to get from maybe a one or a four, maybe a little bit closer to heaven, to that number 10 spot. So I want you to start thinking in your mind of who it is that you would maybe feel comfortable or called to share your story with, to invite to church. Maybe it's someone you've invited before. They said no, but maybe you wanna try again because you've got this opportunity with the make a match. Maybe it's someone you just haven't really felt comfortable with before, but now you know how to do it and you feel like the Lord is calling you to it. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe you know that they don't really have a relationship with Jesus, and you can't bear the thought of them maybe not making it one day, and so you ask them to come to big church with you on Sunday. There's people in all of our lives that we know that need to be filling up these couches, that deserve the opportunity to learn about who Jesus is, and so as they come into your mind tonight, why want not you just make a mental note of whoever the Lord is bringing to your heart. I want you to think about how you wanna invite them, how you wanna share your story, what your story even is. And so Lord, I just ask right now that you just bring to mind those names in each and every one of our hearts and our minds, that you highlight them right now in our brain. We know exactly who it is that we need to invite here next Tuesday or on Sunday. Help us to just open the doors wide to your missing kids that you're calling to be here. We pray that you clothe us with a holy boldness and a holy confidence to go forth and say, this is my story. I met Jesus, and now I'm different. We pray that you prepare those hearts of those students and those parents and those family members that we're talking to. Soften their hearts, open their mind to you, God, no matter what their experiences have been in the past. Just give us the right words to speak. And if they don't say yes right away, help us to not be discouraged, but to know We made a difference in the kingdom. Our stories matter and we got them a little bit closer to you. God, we thank you for everything that you've given us with this awesome student center and all the people that you've filled with it. God, we're so appreciative of what we have. And we ask now that we can just do your kingdom work, God, and we can get those kids here next week. It's in your awesome name that we pray, Lord. Amen.